Hello, everyone. Welcome to Random Encounter 266 or 266. My name is John O'Logan, and uh, we're at the tail end of a heat wave here in Toronto with temperatures reaching upwards of 30 degrees a couple of days ago. That's uh, for those of you in countries that still use Fahrenheit, that would be 86 degrees. And uh, looking outside right now, it is snowing. It is snowing out right now. So, uh, yeah, that's it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. Like last week, I had. I'm not kidding. I had heat stroke for like three days because the building understandably didn't turn on the AC yet because it was April uh, and now it's snowing. So it looks like they made the right call. Uh, but here at Random Encounter right now, we just have comfy weather, nice, nice, comfortable room temperature weather. And uh, today we have calls for showers of nostalgia. So joining us today on Random are Peter Treisenberg. It was snowing yesterday in Michigan, but yeah, I, I feel you. Um, hi, I'm Peter. <laughs> and Abe. Uh, I live in Nevada for the first time, and I didn't step in snow all winter. Yeah, if it was snowing in Nevada right now, we would have some real concerns, I think. Uh, it, was, it was snowing a few weeks ago, but we had like record snow here, actually. So climate change is treating both of you just fancy. Uh, I mean, we need it. It's We're dealing with a massive drought out here, so <laughs> we needed the snow. So it's a good thing. I imagine rain would be more helpful, you know, water in a more usable form actually if you want to get into the science of the I, I read that the snowpack is really important for replenishing the the lakes and the rivers out here so the snow is a good thing look all we have to do is stop the legendary birds from fighting and get in touch with lugia and wait a minute this is just pokemon the movie 2000 never mind <laughs> we should show poke we should show conservatives pokemon the movie 2000 get them on board with climate change anyway this is a weather science fan uh <laughs> yes i'm your host abe the weatherman <laughs> uh, we tricked we tricked you all yeah <laughs> welcome to rain encounter um yeah. actually it fits the r ride the r scheme too um well now that we've uh, we've had a nice little talk about the insane weather over the last few weeks let's actually dive into our very first game today so like i said we're going on a bit of a nostalgia trip today so the first game the the property itself isn't video game nostalgia, but it is nostalgia. So a little bit of history first. So the film Tron was released by the Walt Disney Company back in 1982, and it was one of the very first movies to use extensive computer-generated graphics. Uh, and not only that, if you watch the film today, they still look good. Like, it was super stylized, basic CGI, and they did it in such a way that it actually aged incredibly well, kind of like in a... a it doesn't look like Wind Waker, but that, that kind of idea. Like, if you use stylized graphics and stylized art design, things can look good years after. Uh, so in terms of the quality of the movie itself, it's considered to be a cult classic, so your mileage may vary depending on how you, you know, like cult classics. Uh, and then the franchise lay dormant uh, as one of, in one of Disney's forgotten hard drives uh, until like 30 years later uh, when Tron Legacy was released in 2010. And this was a direct sequel. Uh, and it obviously featured some heavily updated special effects, and it uh, it did fine. Uh, some mixed reviews, but much like its predecessor, it became a bit of a cult classic. Uh, and uh, But then unlike the last time they released a Tron film, Disney wanted to keep building on Tron and make it into a powerhouse franchise. So since 2010, we've had a tease of a new sequel, we've had a short film, we've had an animated series, we've had a bunch of novels. Uh, we... Uh, Technically, we have a theme park attraction opening up later this month, unless, I guess, Ron DeSantos decides that rainbow light bikes are against his personal point of view and he pickets the opening. Um, and uh, now we have a visual novel video game uh, called Tron Identity. So, Peter, I remember you got very excited when this was announced a few months ago. Yeah, I really did. Um, so, like, a bit of background for me personally. Like, um... Well, I do, I do enjoy the original Tron film. Legacy is really the movie that is, I, I, I it is one of the movies that got me into movies. Um, I adore that film. It is an audiovisual feast for the senses. The its particular use of like its neon uh, aesthetic and the Daft Punk soundtrack and. It, there is nothing to this day. I don't think there's anything that looks quite like Tron Legacy, um, and it also helped launch the career of Joseph Kaczynski, who's one of my favorite uh, film directors. He did the new Top Gun movie last year, which was kind of awesome. I hear that was a pretty big success. It, 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 it you know what? It, it, it sort of made a a metric word I can't say ton of money. Yes, and uh, not just that; it was also critically acclaimed. 
yeah, so I mean, that guy's moved up in the world. Um, but Legacy to this day is just one of those films, and I think it holds up remarkably well. Well, it's like I, it's like I said, using stylized, using computer graphics in a stylized way, oftentimes lets things hold up in a way that, you know, other films don't. Like if they, if, yeah. if it's used sparingly and very carefully, it will look great. Like I know Jurassic Park was the poster child of like the first CGI creatures, but if you really look at that movie, they're used very sparingly, and because of that, the film still looks amazing and holds up to this yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park is a great example because that movie will use like practical effects, good use of lighting and rain in order to conceal like kind of the digital seams. And Legacy works very similarly, highly stylized. It is dark and raining for a lot of it, but the movie never really feels grim or hard to see as a result of it. Um, and I was really excited when they announced Identity, because for one thing, like it, it had, it's been a hot minute since we had Neutron stuff. There was, like you said, that TV show that was about a season on Disney XD. Um, they've had like, they've been stalling and making a third movie for ages and apparently we're finally getting it. Only Jared Leto is attached to it. So meh. I'm guessing they looked at uh, the latest Blade Runner and were like, we need some of that, uh, some of that recapturing the classic magic. I, I guess. But if you were going to reach out to anyone from that film, why him? Um, why Morbius? <laughs> they wanted some of that Morbius magic. It, it's, tr it's Tron in time. He says, um, <laughs> Oh God, hate crime me. Um, but um, what's what was awesome about Identity? It comes to us from Bit Hell Games, who um, waked Thomas was alone, and is a visual novel set after the events of Legacy. And I've been playing it for review, and it is a very, very interesting, short, very bite sized. Like this, the game costs fifteen dollars. You can probably clear it in about three hours, but um it presents a really interesting glimpse into a grid that's the digital world that Tron takes place in after the events of legacy. Um, so the basic setup is that you are playing as query um, who is a detective program um, who lives on a separate server from the grid that legacy took place in that since it's the grid's creator, uh, Jeff Bridges' character from the movies, is no longer uh, checking in because, you know, spoiler alert for the movie from 2010, he's kind of dead. Um, oh, I'm sure they can find a backup somewhere. He's still yeah, a big he enough probably, name. <laughs> he, he probably uploaded another, like, dupl digital duplicate of himself to a hard drive somewhere. But, you know, <laughs> we, we got to roll with it for this one. Um, uh so this society in this new grid has sort of flourished. They formed their own little society called Vertical Slice. Um, uh, Vertical Slice is, over, is run by a repository of user, the uh, human knowledge and artifacts. And they sort of put Flynn on a pedestal, worship him as a god. Um, and in the midst of all this, something has been stolen from the repository. And Query is called in to investigate this theft, which is unique because due to the nature of the how secretive this organ the, the repository is, no one actually knows what was stolen. They just know that something is was. Hmm. So he does not have a lot to work with when he's brought in here. So it sounds very much like a classic film noir style storyline, right down to the fact that there's a MacGuffin. Yeah, no, it 100% is. And it leans really hard into its noir trappings. Like, you get a lot of lurid descriptions of, like, rain slick streets and, like, the cold over the cold rain and the overbearing architecture of it, like, drenched in light. And it's it's the writing in this game is really strong. Like, if I was going to give this them props, I, it is like it really does a great job of setting the tone and um, there are little objects you can interact with in the game that will provide like little, you know, data log entries that explain how specific things work in this universe. And it's, and if you're a fan of the property, I think that's going to be really interesting for you. Cause it's like, they'll do little things like, okay, so you, this, we have like this, like they'll, they'll, you'll, you'll see like, um, a fountain that's like spraying like digital water everywhere. And then you can get an explanation for like 
what this is and why they have it set up and how it works. And it's like in a really interest. It's really interesting. Before we move forward, Abe, are you, do you know anything about the Tron series or are you a fan? I have never seen a Tron. Uh, I haven't even played the kingdom hearts game that has a Tron sequence. So, uh, my experience is very low. (laughs) I'm aware that it exists. And apparently Jeff Bridges is in, is in one of them, at least. <laughs> that's that's yeah. about as much as I got. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. To, one of the reasons I'm excited to see this game is because Disney did decide, like, they, they released Tron uh, Tron Legacy, and they they seemed to be making a pretty big push into the property. And then they just kind of didn't uh, for a while. They just kind of stopped. And now it seems like they woke up and are like, oh, yeah, okay, let, let, yeah, let's do this again. So it seems like this might be a first step in some new stuff. I would I really would like that if that was the case because yeah this was um, this was very pleasant to see um, as a fan and I'm really hoping that um, yeah they can get get it together and uh, work on that third movie. It's a little disappointing because like a lot of because it's been so long, a lot of the key players have kind of moved on. Like Daft Punk is no longer a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaczynski was like they're not tapping him to direct the new one. I think. I think most of the cast has moved on to other stuff right now. I mean, we'll see. So it'll probably be a separate thing when this new film does come out. But on the plus side, it sounds like there's a lot of mileage for new stories within this universe, just based on what you said about this game. There really is, yeah, because right away, what's interesting about Identity is that because it's on a separate server, they're able to introduce some new concepts, new characters. It's not completely working from Legacy's playbook, even if it is drenched in kind of the Tron iconography. And it's interesting that instead of going for an action game, or I guess the style that they put into the Kingdom Hearts, uh, this is a pretty straightforward visual novel. So there's no like, and it's actually not even like a fourth wall breaking style visual novel either. It's just the story and there's a ton of choices and there's a ton of branching paths and consequences. So in that sense, it's a pure visual novel. There is, although there is another gameplay mechanic that I'm less keen on, which I'll go into now. Um, So Mm. there are puzzles in Tron identity and well, I don't want to say the puzzles feel like an afterthought, but they very much feel like we needed to add more gameplay to this game. So here is a, a game of matching that you so okay so backing up a little bit query the detective program is gifted with a special ability where he can go into the identity discs those are the um the 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 discs that all of the programs carry with them in the tron universe that has their data stored on them and they also use them as weapons that they throw around like frisbees um he can go into these discs and defragment them in order to uncover more information. And since a lot of the characters in this, uh, in the repository seem to be suffering from selective amnesia regarding like their memory was wiped or something, you'll have to go in and do that in order to get clues. The puzzle mechanics are very, very straightforward. It is a, it is a matching game. You Mm -hmm. have, you have a row of cards that have suites and numbers on them and you have to match two cards um, that that you could, but you can only match cards that are like within three spaces of each other. Um, When you do that, one of them will vanish and the goal is to get them down to a certain number. Um, It's a very bare bones, pretty straightforward puzzle. They try to um, spice it up a little bit with a couple like gimmicks later on, like, Oh, you'll have cards that change places every time you you match one or, You'll have um, cards that duplicate themselves after a certain number of moves, um, which is kind of interesting, but it's definitely not the reason you're here. And I think the developers know this because they include the option to skip every puzzle. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's it really is. It's something I, and that is definitely something I'm going to be knocking against this game because it's like, well, like you have the option to play through like just the puzzles on the on the main menu. There's a endless mode, but um. Yeah, I definitely walked away from them being like, well, they were fine, but I wasn't exactly like, it's not like a logic puzzle or a a zero escape uh, style, like puzzle adventure thing or something like Danganronpa's Trials or anything like that. It's just, it's not an integrated gameplay mechanic. It's not like, it's, it's not like by playing these puzzles, you're getting something from like more plot or more intrigue about the world. It's, it's, if you can skip them, then it's very much a, 
just a little barrier in the way of completing your next task. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it feels like. It's, it's It feels like, okay, this is just busy work you can do for more video game. But again, since you can skip it, why would you? There's, it doesn't feel like there's a point to completing them. I think there's a reason why the most popular mod for most games is titled Skip Hacking Minigame. Yeah, exactly. Like, ever since developers decided that... Do we blame Bioshock for this? I don't even know. But, like, it's like no one ever thinks these are fun. But they keep doing them. Damn you, Ken. Yeah, Ken Levine, curse you. Um, uh, But overall, though... I really enjoyed my time with this game. Like, puzzle, weird gimmicky puzzle mechanics aside, it was a short and sweet little narrative adventure. I got some cool insight into a, a movie universe that I really like. I think the character, the small cast and the single location the stories can find to really keeps the narrative focused. Hmm. Um, How is the writing? I think the writing's really rock solid. Like, um, uh, there's... Um, like obviously, if if you're if you're looking if you're looking for them, like okay, there's there's maybe some parts that are maybe a little overwritten, but at the same time, it's like you've got that kind of cool noirish description of everything. You've got the characters are pretty well fleshed out. They all have their own like agendas, ideologies. There's some really interesting themes being explored in this game. Mm. Um, in particular, they really expand upon the concept of programs worshiping the users and the dangers and limitations of blind faith um, as well as um, government control and censorship of information is a really central theme to this game. Um, the, the repository essentially being where all of the information about how the world works is contained into one location. And most of the programs in vertical slice have no idea about the outside world or how it operates or, um, or things like that. Um, is, is explored and whether or not that's an ethical approach to governing um, is a debate that these characters are having. Mm. Um, uh, there. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, I so was quite pleased to see there's actually a non-binary character in this game too, which I appreciated there. There's a character. One of the cast members goes by they, them pronouns. It's kind of just a thing. They're not like an afterthought or anything. They're a very central part of the story. Um, and I thought that was cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, in my opinion, that's how these things should be handled, just an or considering it's digital, an organic integration into the story. Yeah, and I mean, Tron uh, Legacy, going, like, watching that movie again, like, there's already a bunch of kind of androgynous characters in that story as well. You know, these are, like, thick digital computer programs. They can be anything. And so yeah. just having another, uh, some inclusion to this cast that just feels completely organic and natural was very, very gratifying to see. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned it's quite short, but I also understand that there are a lot of choices available here. So I imagine that actually would improve the replay value of the game to see where different relationships can go. Oh, yeah, you can definitely see. Um, you Actually, in the codex, each character has um, a little flow chart that shows... Oh, let's talk the about the codex has. for a second then. Let's talk yeah, about the codex. Okay. Like, what is it? Yes, so whenever you interact with um whenever you interact with an object or make a decision in the game, it makes a little note that you can read up on. Um, this includes like descriptions of places, of how um, parts of the world work, like that that those like aforementioned like energy flow fountains, or how their like little digital library works, or um, things from the movies like the light cycles, how they work. Um, but you'll also have descriptions of characters, backstories. Um, the one thing about the puzzles that is interesting is that they are they unlock little memory snippets um that you can read up on that are like this is a, a story of this is from from that character's perspective um and you get to read those and learn more about them and that's always interesting hmm. uh so and at in there there is also a flow chart that shows the decision trees for each character whether or not okay were you nice to grish who's like the the guard you meet when you first walk in um, and he decided to work with you, or were you antagonistic towards him and he doesn't like you? Um, uh, whether or not there's there's points in the story where you may actually have to like derez or take someone out, and they'll be removed from the equation. Um, and then and like that is that is a possibility for a couple of these characters. Um, the and then there's of course different endings depending on ultimately when you do uncover what the mystery is, what and what it means for the future of the grid, um, 
without getting into specifics, there are multiple endings that kind of determine how you affect that. Um, it's all pretty, it's, it, it's not super in depth. I'm not, I'm not going to go and say this is going to be like a disco Elysium kind of thing or something like that, but, um, but almost nothing is no, right. That, that, that is like the high, the, the, the very high bar to clear. Um, but for what it is, it definitely offers, you, you can definitely get a few replays of this game and probably get different results depending on what decisions you make. And so for, again, for a, what a game that is being released at a very budget price, um, I think that's pretty, that's pretty worthwhile. Yeah. And as somebody who actually enjoys reading the codex or the enjoys reading wiki and wiki surfing and going through in, <laughs> in games, like in bio, when I first played Bioshock a few months ago, I had a grand old time learning about all of the races and the various planets and things like that. Uh, that I, I very much enjoyed that. Some people don't, but I do. I like well-written copy in games and it sounds I'm like a, I'm a sucker. I'm, yeah. I'm a sucker for good lore. <laughs> Yeah, if something has good lore in it and it's it's well written, oh yeah, give it to me, just right in my veins. <laughs> I, I do want to touch one uh, real quick too. The the music. Um, I'm actually going to look this up a second, so I'm going to mute myself while I type. I'm sorry, one sure. second here. It's okay. You can you don't have to mute yourself. I'll just I'll just cut it out. I'm going to take this opportunity to have a gulp of tea. Mm. Uh, okay, I'm back. Uh, yeah, so the soundtrack for um, Trine Identity was composed by Dan Lassac, who I believe is a as a history of being a hip hop artist. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very good soundtrack. It's, it's tonally distinct from legacy score, but they definitely draw on it for inspiration. There's a couple bits where while you don't have a lot of the central motifs, there's some very similar sounding songs that are definitely meant to evoke um, memories. Like for example, when you're, um, you're in the office of the guy who runs the repository, um, the background beats for that song sound a whole lot like um, the main theme for the villain from Tron Legacy, Clue. Interesting. Um, it's not the same song, but it's clearly meant to evoke a sense of continuity. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a balancing act they're doing, where it's like we don't want this to be, we want this to have its own identity, <laughs> but um, we also want it to feel congruous with this setting and i quite appreciate that it, it stands on its own but also feels like a part of the universe now that we're i mean the music sounds like it you know it, it's quite a bit like the film or films I, I don't uh what are the visuals like in the game like obviously it's a visual novel so limited visuals but uh does does it look like the does it look like what we've seen from the tron universe before and if so does it expand on it does it uh how does it look it looks it looks pretty much like um, like Tron Legacy um, in terms of like the art direction. Um, you have lots of it's very, very kind of dark lighting, cloudy, rainy. The characters all have like the the glowing lights and neon parts of themselves, and they're kind of color coded depending on like what faction they're aligned with. Um, you have like the red guy, the yellow guy, the green person. Um, uh, the, everything kind of has, I don't want to say super deformed the arts, the art direction for the actual game is a little bit more cartoony. Um, not quite like the animated show, but similar, I should, I would say. Yeah. So it, like it's, it's, so it's kind of got a slightly cartoony hand, but more hand drawn aesthetic. Um, uh, but that draws on legacies, um, art direction. Hmm. Um, it is it, in terms of the actual animation is very simple. Um, mostly characters will be kind of in an idle pose where their like head is kind of bobbing up and down, but that's about it. Um, you can, and, and there, there is a, a persistent rain effect over most of the scenes that are like outdoors and stuff. You can, you can move the camera around a little bit to kind of get a different view of the scene, but most of the time there isn't really a whole lot of animation going on. All right. Well, out of curiosity, do you think that, this game would appeal to folks who are not fans of the original or the more recent film. And even if like, would they need to watch either of them to know what's going on? Or is it a pretty good standalone experience? And that, that would be me. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately I'm going to have to say that I think you would at least want to watch legacy before playing this game. Mm. Um, not that I don't like the story itself is fairly standalone, but in terms of concepts like, who is Kevin Flynn? What, who is Clue? 
what basically a lot of this stuff, a lot of the stuff that they're going to refer to kind of just gets mentioned and they're not going to elaborate on stuff that wasn't like, there isn't like a previously on Tron part of the codex, if that okay. makes sense. So yeah, that makes in sense. terms of, you, you kind of have to buy into the initial premise and also have at least a basic understanding of how this universe works and also like who the characters that were important in the other movie were. Like, I've always been a fan of narratives that involve uh, a, a human projection of the digital world and the idea of it being inside the computer and what the, the life of the people inside the computer is. That's something that's always appealed to me. And, you know, the original Tron. I have not seen Tron uh, Legacy. It's been a while since I've seen the original film. Um, I mean, in terms of my personal... In terms of my personal liking of this uh, this uh, narrative construction, I, I, I'm a giant fan of the... Uh, of the classic '90s cartoon show reboot, um, <laughs> God, classics. <laughs> God damn, I love reboot. Uh, most of reboot. I don't know if you either. If you have heard about the, they did a continuation of reboot a few years ago where they literally made it into a ripoff of Tron, where humans got sent into the computer universe as human guardians, and it was a disaster. And it was one of the most unwatchable shows I've ever seen, and it was very disappointing as someone who loves the original cartoon and the two season three and four, which became very adult. Um, anyway, sorry, I got off top. I got off topic there. I just like reboot. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I could have gone on a Digimon rant there. So <laughs> <laughs> Peter, is the room here for a sequel? Um, in terms of to this particular version, they poss they could expand on it. Um, the end, the ending that I got on my run and I'm going to go back and do us and do a second run for sure. Um, the ending that I got in my run is a little open-ended. It definitely leaves it on a, on a, on a, not a quite a to be continued, but on a, like there will be consequences note. Um, so they could very well continue this. They could expand on this universe into other kinds of games. Maybe they could even have it tie into whenever the new movie comes out. We, I don't know. The, the, what's the, I think that's, what's cool about Tron as a setting is that it really is kind of like, there, the grid has a lot of potential for storytelling um, and they really could do something special with this property. So I hope it does. I hope this does well enough, at least that um, Disney feels in, uh, um, like they could continue it. I, I think that they probably are. And not just because, you know, this sounds like they put a lot of effort to this game and like, it turned out really, really well. Also because the, the, <laughs> the spiritual successor of space mountain is going to be Tron light cycle power run, um, which I believe has been opened in China uh, for uh, many years now and which has been delayed. Yeah. Delayed opening in uh, magic kingdom. My, uh, my friend saw them building it while they were on vacation there and sent me pictures like, dude, you got to see this. <laughs> I'm so yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah. People have been raving about this and people, you know, it, it's apparently going to be a, a brilliant both indoor and outdoor uh, roller coaster. So that's kind of cool. Um, and apparently it should open uh, later this month, or maybe it already has. Um, I would not want to be, oh, no, it opened already. I would not want to try to get uh, in line for it, even in a virtual line for it. Because uh, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. Um, but, you know, good. So if they're opening up a entire ride dedicated to it, I suspect that Disney is not going to let the, property languish like it did in the past hopefully here's hoping yes i i enjoy this setting quite a bit and uh it was fun to revisit it mm. well uh speaking of sequels let's talk about another series that has a lot of sequels which is Mega Man. um so uh Mega Man, you know starting on the nes in 1987 it was a series of side scrollers i suspect that you know most people have played them in their youth uh the Mega Man series on the nes eventually evolved into the Mega Man x series on the snes uh, which, you know, there were many, many spinoffs from there. There was the Mega Man Legends series, uh, Mega Man Soccer, uh, and each new version of the series introduced a new version of the main character, Mega Man. So, like, in, in the original Mega Man, you have Rock. In Mega Man X, you have X. Um, so in 2001, presumably inspired by Pokemon, uh, Capcom released a brand new spinoff for the Game Boy Advance, which was a tactical RPG focusing on uh, virtual reality and programs rather than 
uh, robotics like in all the other games. So in this new series called Battle Network, you play as Lan, who is a young boy who has a net navi called MegaMan.exe, essentially a net navi as I understand it, basically a virtual pet. Like an avatar, sort of. <laughs> yeah, an avatar, yeah. So it had six entries on the Game Boy Advance, uh, with uh, three to six having two versions each, which was not unlike Pokemon Red and Blue, which offered you know some different uh, different features and some different gameplay emphasis and stuff like that. And then a few weeks ago, the entire Game Boy Advance collection, uh, te- technically ten titles in total, uh, got released. Uh, and yeah, Abe's been playing through them all, which is a uh, massive task, considering that they are each like a twenty-hour game. So, uh, Abe, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Mega Man Battle Network series? All right. Um, well, they are known as uh, a tactical RPG series, but it's it's a little bit difficult to classify them. They There's really not much that I can say that I would compare it to in terms of RPGs or any other games. The, the battle system is totally unique. Um, if there was... Uh, if there's any short descriptor I want to give to the, the battle system, it would be real time with pause. Uh, <laughs> but that's a term that's usually uh, reserved for games like Baldur's Gate and uh, Pillars of Eternity, like that early Bioware style. And this game is nothing like that. <laughs> but mm. on its face, uh, real time with pause is actually very descriptive of uh, Mega Man Battle Network. Um, so battles in, this ga- in these games take place on a a six by three grid uh, of spaces, much like you'd think of in Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, you and your enemies each have your own three by three area that you can move around in. Um, and then you also have, uh, uh, so part of the battle takes place in real time. Uh, and then another part of the battle involves you going into your uh folder which is like a deck of cards sort of uh of uh chips which are like cards uh and picking an attack and then going back into the the action sequence and and using your attacks on your enemies trying to maneuver them into the proper position uh and trying to avoid their attacks as well uh and then the fact that there's a a six by three grid um and you each have your own side uh, there's a lot of ways that you can manipulate those uh, the grid. Uh, you can steal spaces from your enemies to try and uh, to have more room to move around in, or they can try and steal your spaces. You can destroy their spaces. There's uh, each of these chips has a has a unique ability, and the they get the attacks get pretty elaborate. Um, like for instance. Uh, some attacks are just like a single shot uh, to do damage to the to a single enemy. Others, like the shotgun, may uh, damage an enemy standing behind the the enemy you're targeting. So there's uh, really a ton of variety in the in the battle system and um, and then the chips you find. Uh, and then there's a collection aspect that's uh, somewhat similar to Pokemon, where sometimes if you defeat the enemies. Uh, you can gain their chip and use an attack that's somewhat similar to theirs. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> a very dynamic system. And uh, it's, like I said, there's just really not much else like it. Uh, yeah, it sounds like but, it's pulling a lot from uh, actually the traditional side-scrolling Mega Man concept, which is, you know, you you pause, you go to the menu, you pick a new weapon, uh, go back into it by beating bosses, you absorb their powers, and you have access to that. So it's it's pulling quite a bit from traditional Mega Man style of gameplay, but in a really interesting, I mean, how would you, a, a tactics, a, it, it's, is it, it's not turn-based, is it? So it's like, it's, it's real-time. Like, yeah, so it's, a, it's tactics, real-time, grid-based combat with pausing mechanics. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I mean, the battles happen in real time, but when you go into your folder to pick a chip, um, it pa- the game pauses. Uh, so you can sort of say that those, you know, the time in, in between picking a chip to attack with, you can sort of say that's like a turn. Uh, it's not really, not really a very good uh, comparison, though. Yeah, in terms yeah it's of not, like, the terminology isn't exact there, yeah. And in terms of, like, the collection aspect of Mega Man... This takes uh, that 
uh, concept and just blows it up because um, you can, you know, you can get chips from every enemy you fight. Uh, like even the smaller ones, not not just the the big, uh, you know, flame man types, you know. So there's there's a lot to this game. <laughs> um, well, there is a lot to this game because it's not just the battles either. It's there's there, are, as I understand it, the gameplay is in two sections. There's the battles which take place in cyberspace. Uh, I, I'm gonna have to name this episode something after cyberspace. Um, yeah. And then there's the exploration sections, which uh, you know everything is from isometric viewpoint. And where you're playing as Lan, and you're exploring the real world too. Uh, yeah. Uh, though all the all the actual battles take place in the the sort of the cyberspace sort of world that's built here, uh, which is called the Net. Um, yeah. I wonder so, where they got that from? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, uh, yeah, you actually play as Lan most of the time, uh, but when uh, Lan uh, jacks into the Net. Then you take over as Mega Man. Exe. <laughs> I just, oh my god! I just, I, I've got to say, just don't mean to interrupt you, but oh my god, I love how people treated the internet in the early two thousands, and just like, just all, the, all they used all of the buzzword, and they did this in Tron too. They just use all of the computer buzzwords as like names of things, like the fact his name is L A N is hilarious to me. Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, there's a lot of computer terminology that was in much more common use around that time. Some of which we don't really use anymore because, uh, you know, that's like 20 years ago now. Um, Does anyone remember but... the browser Netscape? Cause I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, so your uh, sort of avatar that you, uh, you do battle with is called a Navi. Uh, and the, uh, the evil organization that you're fighting against is uh, called WWW. Oh, which is kind of a hint as to who, if you played Mega Man games, it's kind of a hint as to who the main villain might be. Ooh, <laughs> gee, well, if you can, I wonder. You could possibly guess. <laughs> Sigma, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he's yeah. a Sigma male. <laughs> uh, but, like, you brought up the, uh, the kind of silly ideas of the internet from that time. Um, really, like, the, the society that Mega Man Battle Network is set in, it's like a highly advanced uh, technical technological society uh, in which many electronic devices are are connected to a network. Um, it doesn't really seem like there's any practical reason for this, but but that's the way it is. Um, so well, what do you expect? It's 22 XDX. Of course they have, yeah. you know, everything is plugged into the net. Yeah. Uh, as And as you'd expect, this, this can kind of cause some problems because... Uh, if everything's interconnected, that means that people that you don't want to connect to your devices can also connect to them. I'm, de I'm detecting parallels to the real world somehow. Yeah, a little bit. They can do things like, you know, set your oven on fire or uh, make a public transportation vehicle go really fast. Uh, Let's hope the Russians aren't playing Battle Network Legacy Collection. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and we're, you know, we're t these games came out at a time when the internet was really kind of still a little bit in its infancy it wasn't yeah quite a household item yet um uh you know uh i mean it when cool. i went to it was cool when i went to college in 2002 yet. that was like the fastest internet connection i ever had oh my god i got so, wireless um i got a wireless card for my laptop it blew my friggin' mind yeah <laughs> yeah incredible so um and like the the concept of this society and in, in this game is really just like the concept of the you know the internet of things that uh, mm people talked about for a long time and it's it's really uh really kind of eerily resembles the the smart homes and smart devices that we have today it's they yeah the writers uh may have been clued into that that uh, this type of technology was in the works and um the, they came up with some worst case scenarios for as to what could possibly happen if things go awry if if the ne'er-do-wells uh get their hands on the wrong things managed to hack into the system and such with their with their navvies um yeah well this game was released on the game boy advance so if you like pixel art this is you're probably really going to like this game how are the graphics uh well it so it was originally released as handheld games and i uh completely recommend that you play in handheld mode if possible uh they're you know this is a 2000 a game from the first game was from 2001 um and they used the same assets for 
all of the games, basically. Uh, so, In Mega Man, that's a Mega Man tradition, realistically speaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, I tried to play it on a TV. It's pretty rough. Uh, mm. um, it's. I think I'm pretty sure this is just basically just an emulation, um, and uh, so it looks it looks particularly stretched on a, on a big TV. The the sprites are pretty muddy and uh, they kind of bleed into the background. So, uh, but like, you know, if you play in switch handheld mode, which thankfully I got the switch version for this, um, the, you know, the sprites are crisp and, and, and they look great. Uh, so yeah, if you buy the Mega Man battle network collection, I definitely recommend that you play it on the smallest screen possible. Probably the, you know, your best bet is probably the switch or, or like a steam deck. Maybe a PC monitor might do okay, but big screen TV, no, <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah, this was not meant for, this was meant for a, well, a Game Boy Advance screen, which was, let's just say, not at the highest resolution imaginable. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's like unplayable on a TV, but I I would definitely recommend playing in handheld mode if possible. It just looks better, because that's how it was does, meant to be yeah. played, yeah. Yeah. So one of the interesting things about this collection, now I know that, like I said early, there are... 10 games in here. We are not going to make you play all 10 games. We're going to make you play six of them um, because there are two versions of three, four, five, and six. Um, do you, I, I, you've beaten the first two and you're currently in three, correct? That's right. Yeah. Do you know what any of the differences between the games are? Like, why do they have two versions for each? I, I mean, I've looked them up. Um, uh, it, it's kind of getting into like some of the minutia of the game a little bit uh, to, to talk about it. Uh, some of them just, they give you different chips. Um, it's it's not as as clear cut as like the Pokemon versions of games. Um, they you might get different items uh, during the story <laughs> at different times in the story. Um, uh, one thing Mega Man has is uh, that he picks up in the second game and uh, continues onward is like a style for his 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 blaster. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I guess different styles are available between the two versions of the games. Okay, so honestly, it doesn't really... It's not the greatest reason to have two versions of the game. It's just kind of like they were hopping on the, the Pokemon bandwagon. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I guess if you got unique chips from your own game, you can you know, you can train them with your friends <laughs> to, to get the other chips that you wanted. Um, mm. But honestly, I mean, from what I gathered from reading online, it's 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 a little bit of a different experience in terms of like your strategies and, and your play style. I'm not going to lie. I'm, this is one, this is one fad that I'm kind of glad vanished over time that releasing two versions of the exact same game yeah. with like minor changes. And in games four or five and six, uh, you also had to collect uh, like these cards in the real world, like in Japan. <laughs> and oh. those would give you certain, <sighs> abilities or something in the actual game uh the thankfully uh capcom's included uh whatever those cards were <laughs> in the uh in the games this time around so um you don't have to go to japan and buy cards yeah that would have been a that would have been slightly inconvenient to anyone who wanted to play yeah, through the game a little bit since especially just, since just they're probably not available anymore mm. so what's your what's uh, your favorite one of the what's your favorite one so far oh um you know they they're 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 actually all pretty similar. Um, the the third one definitely gives you the most uh, options of the three games I played so far, but that's in part just because they keep adding on new things like from game to game. Um, but I do like in the third game you have the option of uh, uh, raising uh, viruses that you fight in the computer, <laughs> um, so that you can have like you know. You have sort of like a summon of of one of your uh, of one of the enemies that'll uh, bounce around and help you while you're in battles. <laughs> um, but there's you know uh, the stories aren't exactly deep, uh, but there is you know there is some uh, some succession between the three games. So I mean, really, the, the story feels like almost one continuous story to a degree. Um, so it's kind of hard to just just pick one game, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so um, we're talking like almost like an anime plotline kind of thing. There's, I mean, 
Yeah, uh, I mean, there was uh, an know, anime based of, on the game, I believe. Yeah, uh, there was. Yeah, there was. Um, but like in terms of like the story concepts, they're they're pretty similar from game to game. Um, so uh, in terms of the story, like the the first one's probably the most interesting because you're you're kind of new to the concept. Um, mm. It's video game comfort food. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to pick a favorite. I guess. I guess I'd say the third one. It's it's got it's the most advanced so far in terms of uh, gameplay. Yeah, and I mean, if you're a fan of the Mega Man franchise, one of the appeals about this game, as I understand it, you know, there's lots of cameos, lots of references, things like that to the other games in the series. I, I mean, they wouldn't be called Robot Masters in this. What, what would they be? Uh, well, they're they're just uh, navvies. Um, they're just like navvies. Mega Man yeah. is a navvy. You know, Flame Man is a navvy. Bubble Man, etc. <laughs> uh, they're all navvies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They have a real world uh, person who's controlling them that you're fighting against or fighting as. <laughs> uh, another big draw about this game, as I understand, again, pulling from Pokemon success was there was a multiplayer aspect of these games. Um, that was one of the big things about Pokemon is, you know, even before we had the internet, it was connect two of your Game Boys together with the, the cable and you can trade Pokemon back and forth or battle. Uh, and, you know, apparently Capcom was paying attention because they put multiplayer functionality into this game. Uh, does that come into play at all in this collection? Uh, yeah, it's fully. It has full the full capabilities the original games did. Uh, you can okay. you can battle online. You can trade uh, chips. Uh, mm. Yep, presumably better than it was on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> I was I was a little curious as to whether you could, uh, if you played two different versions of the same game, like you know, since the, so three is split into white and blue. I was a little <laughs> curious as to whether you could trade chips like between yourself uh unfortunately i don't think that's possible because you're only on the one uh you're only on the one profile on at least on the switch how's the music in the game Abe? uh the music it's uh well you gotta remember this is uh this is from a handheld game uh from 2001 originally uh it's very much like you'd expect a game boy game uh, game boy advanced game to sound um the very uh very lo-fi uh electronic sounds um you know, I I think the the main theme while you're exploring is pretty fun and bouncy, um, and serviceable music. Yeah, between the between the games, you get variations on the main theme while you're exploring, so keeps it kind of fresh. <laughs> if uh, if you're playing uh, the games in succession, um, interesting. But you know, that's it's pretty much what do you, what do you expect from uh, from an older game like that? Mm-hmm. Are there any? And unfortunately, uh, a lot of the uh there are some kind of the more uh rpg gameplay tropes from that time that we've kind of we've kind of moved away from a bit uh the the random battle the uh you you have random battles when you're exploring the net and okay the the rate is pretty high <laughs> um we're talking like every three steps you're you're getting into another battle uh, so that can be a little bit time-consuming. Given the time period, I mean, the, what would the equivalent of random battles be in 2001? A pop-up ads. That's what the, that's what a random battle is <laughs> online in 2001. It's Basically, a pop-up ad. I mean, like, which Final Fantasy had, like, the worst random battle rate? Maybe maybe like eight or nine. I mean... You're, Let's just but, say eight, because it's popular yeah, to beat up on eight. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, think, <laughs> think of the worst random battle rate you can think of, and, you know, it's... <laughs> it can be a little bit much, mm-hmm. um, but also you know it's it's a very small game. I imagine that um, that the memory size on the, the Game Boy Advance cartridges was not very high, um, mm-hmm. but you do end up uh, backtracking a lot back and forth through kind of the same uh, areas like repeatedly. Um, so you do you you do got to keep in mind that these are games from a you know with a lot of limitations for, you know, they're 20 year old games. Yeah. 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 Um, there is, uh, in terms of like quality life, quality, uh, quality of life additions. Uh, there is the option to turn, uh, your blaster on max so that you can, uh, defeat enemies basically in one hit. Um, but you you don't really want to play that way. <laughs> it's it's not very fun to play that way. I mean, that's not really, you know, battles are game. really that's... the focus of the game. And yeah, you you really want to play the battles but you know if you get if you do get frustrated with the you know the high uh, random battle encounter rate then you know if you get frustrated with that you if you get frustrated with grinding you know you can you can smooth things out a little bit uh and unfortunately the difficulty level is also all over the place so um mm. but 
yeah, that one quality of life uh, uh, option can kind of help alleviate the, the frustrations a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, this isn't the end of the series after this. Well, technically it is, I guess. Uh, but let me ask you this. After a after you finish this and after you have a very long vacation from these games, I imagine, uh, would you be interested in playing through a collection of uh, Battle Network's DS successor, which I believe is called Mega Man Star Force? Uh, I mean, I, I also haven't played those. Uh, from what I understand, it's uh, a lot more of the same. Um, mm-hmm. I'm... <laughs> uh, I mean, they are really fun. Uh, you know, this is uh, definitely like if I want this style of, of game, like this is a good one to return to. Uh, so maybe at some point um, I would want a, a collection of those. <laughs> yeah. Peter, are you familiar with these games? I you know, So weirdly enough, no, but I was around when they were coming out. So like um, I had a friend who had one of those, like you could buy a NetNavi from like Toys R Us or whatever. Mm. And it had a little like LCD screen of Mega Man, kind of like a Tamagotchi and you could put chips in it and stuff and it would beep. It was like, and um, I watched the anime series when it was airing cause it was on before Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, but um, I never actually played the games. I'm very excited for this collection. Actually, I do want to pick it up because um, this is a series I've been kind of interested in and it does feel nostalgic for me even though, again, I've never actually played them myself. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very curious here. I also understand that apparently 4 is the bad one from what I've read. I don't actually know. but Why is 4 always the bad one? <laughs> I mean, John Wick 4 is the best in the series, but that's a whole other can of worms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's interesting you said that about nostalgia, because I think there is a lot of nostalgia out there, even for game series that we haven't really gotten into. Uh, which I guess leads perfectly into this week's discussion question. Uh, so uh, even though it's been canceled, uh, everyone's still very excited for not E3 season that's coming up because not E3 season is when we get our our big dose of game announcements and things like that. Even if they're not really done in a single show anymore, it's usually there are a lot of shows over the course of like one to two weeks, usually a gaming show and uh, some indie things. And usually Nintendo has a direct around that time. So yeah, people are pretty excited uh, for that period uh, in the spring. And I'm curious, what collection of classic video games uh, do each of you hope to see announced at this year's E3? Very much in the style of like the Mega Man Net- uh, Battle Network Legacy Collection or like the, or the, well, like, I guess somewhat similar to the remastered uh, Final Fantasy games that just came out, which I think are coming out in some collections for the the ones that just released for the uh, uh, PS4 and Switch. Um, so what what collection would you guys be interested to see? Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. <laughs> I've been I, I, I've been saying this like pretty much ever since the Switch came out, but it's kind of a criminal. It's kind of criminal that uh, Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD which are both fantastic re- um, remasters of those Zelda games, are stuck on the Wii U, um, a console which just very recently the the, the Wii U's uh, and the 3DS eShops closed. So officially a dead platform. Most people do not either have, have not held on to... I, don't, I have not held on to mine, um, which, okay, maybe been my own mistake. Mm. But... Come on, just just just, just pour it to switch, guys. You know you want to. I I think that's a good choice. Um, and obviously Nintendo knows Nintendo's smart about these things. So at some point they will be released. I would be surprised if they were not. I would be very surprised. But then again, Nintendo does weird stuff sometimes. So who even knows? At this point, it would just be re- it would be refreshing to actually get a Zelda game uh, for the uh, Switch that actually plays well um, with at a good frame rate. So, you know, if they want to release those things on it, that's not a bad idea. I'm, I'm pretty excited for Tears of the Kingdom, but I am a little bit scared for the uh, how well it's going to be optimized. Let's put it that way. As I say, that gameplay footage they released looks really sharp, and I think Breath of the Wild was kind of a miracle on Switch. It ran very, it ran about as well as it possibly could. That's the problem with Switch, is that Nintendo are the only ones who can actually work miracles on the system to make it run properly at this point. And even then, they're not willing to outsource any of that wizardry to Game Freak. But that's, again, another conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also kind of hoping that Square will um, do a Parasite Eve remaster, um, since they've been remastering their whole back catalog. That and Vagrant Story, I feel like, are two um, um, 
games that could definitely get deserve some love. Mm. Abe, how about you? What collection of classic video games would you hope to see announced at this year's Naughty E3? Uh, well, I would go with a different Nintendo franchise and say Fire Emblem. Um, I'd love to see like a collection oh. of like the older games, especially the 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 ones that we haven't gotten in the West yet. Um, you know, you could do a separate like uh, GameCube and Wii collection. You could do a, the 3DS collection. Um, oh yeah, I there's think... a nostalgic gold mine there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, especially if they they split them into multiple parts, which I'm sure they would, because I mean, you can, I mean, you can charge multiple times for that <laughs> that way. Um, but yeah, like it'd be great to play the games that you know that I haven't gotten to play yet, and and I don't know how well the the portable games would upscale to a uh, major console, but I mean, you know, the th- the 3DS games them before. Were, were were excellent, and they, I mean, they essentially saved the series. So, um, yeah, it it'd be great to have all, all those games available again on a modern console. Mm-hmm. And if anyone is interested in reading a little bit more about those games, uh, Brian McKenzie, one of our reviewers, has been working his way through uh, all of the Fire Emblem games, uh, starting from the beginning, using fan translations to play the ones that have not yet been available in uh, North America. So if you were ever curious about some Fire Emblem games that maybe you've never played because you haven't been able to play them, uh, that's a pretty cool thing to check out. So uh, yeah, those reviews are on the website. Uh, for me, if I had to pick a game collection that I would like to see announced at this year's Not E3, it would be a uh, Apollo Justice collection for Ace Attorney. So oh, I nice, see, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I want to see Apollo Justice. I want to see I want to see Spirit of Justice, and I want to see uh, oh bloody heck, what's the what's the other one? The three games. Dual Destinies. Yeah, Dual Destinies. So I want to see the I want to see the three Apollo Justice games. Even though Phoenix kind of butted his way in to become the main character of the second two, it's still Apollo's story, and uh, I just think those games are fantastic. <laughs> no objection. Yes, no objection. I think those games are fantastic. Uh, I think that. I think that Apollo Justice was underrated as an Ace Attorney game. It had the usual, it doesn't star the characters that I want, and a lot of people got angry about that. But I think it really does hold up, and it looks so good. Uh, It's it's the first actual 3DS uh, Ace Attorney game that was made specifically for the 3D, or for DS. Um, The other ones were released with enhanced ports. But yeah, I'm a big fan of those games and the stories, and they released the... Uh, first trilogy to great acclaim. People love the first three games, so I think that the next three games should be released in a collection. And I mean, hell, while I'm at it, uh, I think that they should release a collection of uh, the Ace Attorney Investigations Miles Edgeworth collection because the first one was released here, but the second one was never uh, released in the West. It got a, it got an absolutely fantastic fan translation, but I think it's the only Ace Attorney game, Ace Attorney Investigations 2, that is not available in the West at this point so that would be if they were to release it they would obviously release it as a as a two-pack i would imagine to maximize the value so i would love to see that um in terms of just standalone games that i hope to see you know uh, remasters or re-releases uh you're right about uh peter you're right square square enix has a lot of classic games like parasite but they still have some uh snes games that were never released here in the west like uh Baymont's Lagoon, uh, Treasure of the Rudra. So given the success of Live Alive, I would be surprised if like their best pixel art games were not given a uh, given the similar treatment, especially oh, like man. Baymont's Lagoon would look so good in that style. God, Tima, no, no, Tima Sano. Yeah, they do incredible work with those HD 2D games. And I would absolutely adore it. Um, actually I'm going to, I'm going to butt in with another one since they already announced a dragon quest three remake, mm-hmm. um, do four five and six, which would you prefer? Would you prefer four five and six in the SNES, uh, overhead style with, uh, that with the, the HD style of graphics, or would you prefer if they did the HD style of graphics with the, uh, DS style, uh, 3d kind of like rotating point of view? I, mm, that's a good question. I kind of, I, I kind of want to wait and see how like the Dragon Quest three remake actually like turns out. Um, Cause I would probably, I feel like they would probably want to make them uh, sim all similar to each other. Kind of like they did with the final fantasy pixel remasters. They made them a little homogenous. I don't know about that. I mean, they, th- as far as I can tell, they absolutely nailed the look for uh triangle strategy of the, uh, 
the rotating yeah, 3D world. Oh yeah, it could totally work. So maybe if maybe if they made if they made that work out, yeah, it'd be interesting to see because the DS versions of those games were all fantastic. I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, it would be interesting to see if they were able to bring that back, um, but with like a much spiffier coat of paint. Provided that the game industry doesn't crash within the next ten years, I think we can almost bet that all of the games that we just talked about will eventually be re-released in some form of remastered content. Uh, there's money on the table, and if one there's one thing that these companies love, it's money. Well, I mean, some of the earlier Fire Emblems I'm not sure about, but because there's not already a, an existing translation. But yeah, but I mean, how hard could it possibly be to translate like the original NES Fire Emblem? How much con yeah. like how much copy is really in that game? I'm pretty sure that game's already been translated because they the, they, yeah, they had the fr- it was that limited it was that li- oh you're right that yes, limited time it's, thing yeah my. Yeah, which my roommate bought the physical edition of because he's insane. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, some of the really older games will. Oh, for God's sake! We okay? We're we're just gonna say this because I'm sure there are people listening to this who are like, "What about?" Yes, we all would like to see Mother Three released, (laughs) Um, and inevitably it will be. I that's that's my prediction. At some point in the next ten years, Mother Three will be released in the West. Okay, look, if that doesn't come to the Switch Online thing, I am going to like eat my work hat like <laughs> I, I would be very surprised i think if they do they've got to bring reggie back for the direct yes <laughs> they don't even need to they don't even need him to say anything just like pan the camera over to him looking sheepish and then just hear the sound effect and then you just go into the trailer for mother three and that's all you need oh yeah no that would be a pretty amazing moment <laughs> yes that's that's how you could support us rpg fans and if you're looking for a way to support us here at RPG Fan, uh, we have a store now. So you can find it at www.rpgfan.com shop. You can find lots of things there, including mugs, and you can find t-shirts, and you can find baby onesies. I know I keep going on about the baby onesies, but we keep getting photos in the RPG Fan Slack of staff members uh, putting their babies and their like relative, their baby relatives into the onesies, and they're all really, really cute. So yeah, baby onesies at uh, rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, you should check those out. Uh, you can also check out some past episodes of Random Encounter. So we have, like I said, this is 266. So we have 265 episodes of Random Encounter in the past that you can dig into and take a look at. And uh, yeah, if you have a favorite game that's released in the last few years and you're wondering what we were saying about it back when it was released, yeah, take a look at that. Uh, but we are not the only podcast we have here at RPG Fan. We also have Retro Encounter starring Mr. Mike Solosi as the host. And this is our, our retro podcast where we talk about all of retro games and oftentimes going into deep dives. Uh, probably the most recent episodes that you, you know, we we talk a lot about Yakuza on here. Uh, like a Dragon Machine, we did like a two-part kind of spoiler cast, which occasionally there's a lot of episodes like that where we do spoiler casts of more recent games. Uh, so yeah, check out Retro Encounter. We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast. Uh, we've had some really fun episodes lately. Uh, I want to just shout out again the April Fool's Day episode, which was Rhythm to Chocobo. It was an unbelievably fun time to be on that. We just picked our favorite chocobo music as like our april fool's day and we expected it to be a joke and then it stopped being a joke and it was like oh there's actually some really great music here so yeah give that a listen uh and the most recent episode is perfect for what we were talking about early on with crazy weather in april and may uh we have springtime serenade so that is going to be uh talking about music of the springtime that you can find in rpgs and it turned into a really fun episode so check that out too if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you if you have any suggestions for future episodes or if you have any ideas for discussion questions that we can talk about. We'll give you a shout out on the show. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com or you can find me on Mastodon at Logan at mastodon.social. I am not the only person on this podcast with an online presence. Peter, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at Elon Musk's hell site, Twitter, um, at I have fury. Um, I don't know how much longer that's going to last. If you go to look me up at some point and I'm gone, it means I probably came to my senses. I mean, honestly, is there a better place to have fury than Elon Musk's hell site? Honestly, I, I was a weirdly prescient 11 years ago when I made that account. Abe, where can we find you online? 
for some reason i'm still on twitter as well um and it's uh at uh babe moby b-a-b-e-m-o-b-y yeah you you gents got to get on mastodon that's where it's at <laughs> it's actually i'm not gonna lie it's pretty great it really does remind me of twitter back in like the old days of twitter um it feels very ground floor twitter which i really like we'll see which one takes off <laughs> i'm enjoying it um anyway so if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with your friends help us get the word out there rank us on itunes or your other podcast players of choice abe peter thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it uh, and making your way through these games uh especially abe because he has like let's see six games 10 games 20 hours each so around 200 hours of gameplay to get through abe it's more like 120 hours. <laughs> oh, that's no, simple. That's no problem. 120 hours. You can yeah. do that with Persona 5. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently you can just skip four. <laughs> apparently. At least one of them. I um, mean, you can play them as long as you want to. I mean, you can you can collect things for forever if you want. <laughs> but, very, very true. Uh, so anyway, thank you both for joining us today. And to all of you out there listening, whatever you're playing, have fun. <laughs>